Hello, my wonderful friends. Thanks for coming back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn, and this is episode number 41. And uh, yeah, it's Sunday morning, and uh, it has been a long week in the Seabird House. Um, It started on Monday. Uh, We found out my daughter has pneumonia, and... My wife was supposed to take her to the doctor at 11, and she texted me at work. She's like, uh, I'm getting sick. I can't take her. I don't, I don't I don't. know what's going on, but like, I can't leave the house. So I came home from work. I took Jordan. Um, next day, Tuesday, power went out at the house. We lost power, and we lost water all day. So my wife is home with my daughter. Uh, daughter's pneumonia. Wife's still sick. Uh, no power, no AC, no TV, no water. It's just bad. Um, Wednesday, uh, things are somewhat normal. Thursday, my wife goes to the doctor. She's got a sinus infection. I was off that day, supposed to interview uh, Shane Claiborne for the podcast. And uh, I had to cancel with him because uh, my daughter still had a fever. So we were going to have to bring her back to the doctor. But I called the doctor and the doctor's like, no, um, if it gets to 101 again, bring her back in. But other than that, as long as it's under 100, uh, she's probably... You know, that means her body's healing the way it should be. Cool. Uh, but around 2 o'clock, I start to feel sick. So I go to the doctor. I've got 102 fever. I've got a sinus infection. So we've all been in the house um, all week. Uh, all three of us, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and today's Sunday. Um, I've been up for a while um, because I woke up at like 3 and to get some water because my throat was really dry and my nose was running. And I couldn't go back to sleep. And so I got up. Around 5.30, did some things, and sat down to record this. This is like the third time I've started recording it because um, my brain is just like not working. Um, I'm copped up on cold medicine, and we got amoxicillin, and we've got Advil, and we've got Sudafed, and we've got everything going on in this Hebert house. So bear with me. I'm pretty sure this will make sense, um, and if not... Um, then it doesn't. <laughs> what can I? What can I say? Right? We'll, we'll do the best that we can. Um, anyway, so this is episode number forty-one, and uh, part two of our series that we're calling "Thoughts from the Doctor." And uh, if this is your first time um, to the What If Project, uh, welcome to the show. Welcome. And uh, what what thoughts from the doctor is is if if you've been around at all, if you go back and listen to a, a few of the previous episodes. Um, the last three years have been a journey for me in getting my uh, doctorate degree. And uh, graduation was actually this week. I defended my dissertation last month. I have a few more edits to make on it. Um, but people always ask me, you know, three big questions whenever I tell them about this program. Uh, number one, they're like, why in the world did you want to get your doctorate? Like, what would possibly possess you to want to go back to school? Uh, number two, uh, what in the world did you learn in the program that you didn't know before? The number three, you know that now that you're 37 years old and you're all grown up, uh, what's next in your in your life? And so what I'm doing is each week I'm just tackling a different one of those questions. So last week we talked about why I got the degree. Uh, this week I'll talk to you about what I learned, and then next week I'll share with you uh, what's next. And it's a real good thing for me to be doing because it's helping me kind of process through um, the last three years. Uh, for me, like I said last week, I love school. Uh, I think school is like one of my favorite places. And so for me, school coming to an end 
is kind of sad. And so there's a, a, a little bit of a grieving process for me, I think. Uh, so this is really helping me kind of think through the last three years, process it a little bit. And uh, hopefully um, it will help you as well in your own journey, whatever that journey looks like or or maybe. So I'm calling this episode uh, Beach Balls, Failure, and the Surplus of Meaning. Uh, beach Balls, Failure, and the Surplus of Meaning. Uh, so like I said, last week I talked to you about why I got my degree. Um, I shared with you why I went into the program three years ago. And now three years later, what I think were some of the, the bigger reasons that God led me to it. Uh, because it's, it's kind of like a Monday morning quarterback. Three years ago, I had very different reasons for entering the program than I think God had for leading me to the program that I'm now only able to see uh, three years later that I'm, that I'm at the end. Um, today, though, what I want to do is I want to share with you um, three, what I would say are my biggest takeaways from the program. Um, over the last three years, I've taken six classes. Um, I've, I've read a bazillion books. Um, I've written a never-ending amount of papers. And uh, somehow I've written and defended a hundred and it's up to 172-page document about social media, technology, how the church can use those things to connect people together and then connect people to God. And did all of that while moving from New Jersey to North Carolina, right? Uh, raising a, a small human who now has pneumonia, uh, working at an Apple store that's an hour and a half to two hours away from home, um, owning a house, and dealing with a, a variety of different curveballs that life has just consistently chucked our way around every corner. Uh, my wife was in a car accident last fall. She totaled her car. Um, I had the flu earlier this year. Our daughter had a respiratory infection earlier this year with 105 fever. We've had just crazy things um, going on. So all that to say, I've learned a few things about life and uh, leadership and the spiritual journey and just being human. And I thought I would just use um, this week to share with you um, a few of those things, a few of those takeaways that have impacted me uh, from the, the classroom um, in this doctoral journey. So, so that said, uh, let's just jump in. Number one, uh, the first takeaway is that you've got to deal with your beach balls. You've got to deal with your beach balls. Now, in the first class, um, I studied, studied under a guy named Dr. Rob Reamer, and he took our class through uh, some principles of caring for your soul. And if you haven't heard of Dr. Rob Reamer, you are missing out. Um, stop what you're doing. Go to Amazon. Um, buy his books. The two, my two favorites are Soul Care and uh, Pathways to the King. Uh, these are important books. They have shaped my walk with God. Um, they are on the top of my, my list of books that I would recommend for anyone, anywhere in their walk with God. You might not agree with everything in there. I don't agree with everything in there, but they will help you, they will shape you, they will impact you, um, they will give you necessary tools in your spiritual journey. I'll put them in the show notes, go find them, click them, go get them. Um, anyway, so in essence, um, the class taught us that uh, we can't effectively care for people if we are not effectively caring for ourselves. Uh, we can't effectively care for others if we're not caring for ourselves. And one of the most important parts of the class was this section on um, beach balls, right? Everyone has stuff. Everyone's got stuff in their lives that has impacted them or affected them in profound, often very negative ways, right? Like we live in a world that is full of chaos. Stuff happens. 
um, that we don't plan to happen, we don't wish to happen, we wish that we could undo it, make it go away. Some of us were abused. Uh, Some of us have parents um, that passed away at an early age. Some of us grew up alone. Some of us had to grow up a lot faster than we should have. Some of us have uh, horrible memories of childhood. Some of us have horrible memories of, of marriage. Some of us have lives that have just been plain terrible. Some of us have made terrible decisions in the past that have had terrible consequences on our future, right? In short, we've all been dealt a blow or two or three that have made a, a lasting negative impact on our lives. Um, life happened, as they say. And there's often just no way to escape the inevitable hurts and pains that accompany um, life happening to us. But the question is, what do you do with the pain? What, what do you do with the hurt, right? Like when life happens, how, how do you respond? What do we do with these things that have been handed to us? Uh, for many of us, we do whatever we've got to do to just keep going, right? And so we push the, the beach ball of pain beneath the surface of our, our lives, and we do everything we can to keep it from popping back up so that we can just keep pushing forward one day, one moment at a time. But that beach ball, it pops up, doesn't it? It pops up when we least expect it, when we least want it to. Uh, for instance, this is a, a crazy example, but you get the point. Your spouse says something to you, fairly innocent, but says it with that same tone or that same look on his face that your abusive father used to have when he spoke to you or your mother, and it just absolutely sends you off the handle, right? Like you launch at him, you chuck a plate at him, you tell him to get out of your house, never come back, you make him sleep on the couch, you tell him you hate him, you give him the cold shoulder for a month, right? Not because he's your dad, but because the beach balls lunged right through the surface of your soul, right? The look he gave you, the tone he spoke to you in, it reminded you of your dad. Your dad did those things to you or said those things to you 30 years ago, but 30 years later, you're still trying to pretend it didn't happen by jamming the beach ball beneath the surface of your life, hoping it'll just disappear. But it doesn't, right? That beach ball refuses to be ignored. Instead, it keeps coming up, it keeps popping up, it keeps creating more headaches, more chaos, more heartbreak in your life. Every time something happens or someone says something to you that reminds you of your dad and the horror that he created in your childhood, the beach ball makes a splashing appearance. Now, that's obviously an extreme example, but but you get the picture, right? When we don't deal with our crap, our crap comes back to deal with us. But when we push the beach ball of pain beneath the surface of the water, it's only a matter of time before we're not paying attention, and it pops right back up in our face or the faces of those around us and creates more and more and more and more trouble. And so one of the things I learned in this program is that I've got to deal with my beach balls. And for me, dealing with my beach balls took on a variety of different forms. Uh, for starters, I went for some counseling. Um, it was a it was a requirement for for the class, and I'm glad it was because if it wasn't, I probably wouldn't have gone. But for about six months, I met with a counselor every other week, and uh, we talked about my father. And I'm not going to get into all the details here, but let's just say that I was carrying around a, a variety of different sized beach balls that I've spent years trying to keep underwater, any way that I could. Um, the beach balls would inevitably pop up. 
um, really each and every day in the form of insecurity, doubt, self-hatred, depression, a lack of confidence, and just an overall feeling of, of being stuck in my life. And I was walking through my life, I said this to my counselor, so I feel like I'm walking through my life as a 10-year-old boy, right, trapped in the body of a 34-year-old man. And for the life of me, I can't figure out why. I didn't know why I had no confidence in myself. I didn't know why the voices inside told me that I wasn't good enough. I didn't know why the voice of my, my father echoed and vibrated in my head in the moments when my life required me to step up, take a stand, believe in myself, trust, move forward. I couldn't figure out why that voice was there as if my father was standing right next to me. And along with a whole lot of other stuff, the counselor helped me unpack a lot of things from my childhood. And although some of those beach balls, they pop up, they make an appearance every now and again, I'm more equipped to, to deal with those things when they do pop up so that the pain of my past doesn't spill over on the people in my life who I love and I value and I appreciate. And so all of that to say, what I would do is I would ask you, what is your beach ball? What are your beach balls? What are the painful memories? What are the painful things that you're trying to jam beneath the surface of your life? How are you dealing with your beach balls? Number two, second thing, failure is not failure. This one is big. Um, the second class I took was about addressing our leadership failures. Uh, this, this was an emotional class. We had, a, we had to pick one of our biggest failures as a leader, um, dissect it, figure out where we went wrong, and then rewrite the script. So we, we literally had to write a story of what it would look like for us to lead but in, in that scenario, but, but differently than how we originally did so that it didn't end up crashing and burning. And we had to dissect it in a small group. And then we had to let the small group give us their perspective on why we failed. And then we had to brainstorm with the small group about what we could do differently in that situation. And then we had to present the whole thing to the entire class with the professor and get their feedback on it as well. Um, it was an emotional time, uh, but it was so, uh, so fruitful and uh, so beneficial. So for me, I chose to talk about um, our church plant that Dana and I started in our garage. And there are like so many angles of failure that I could talk about. But the piece that sticks out in my, my head the most is that from day one of that church plant, I was still trying to be what I thought everyone in my life expected me to be. Right? Like I went to Bible college. I went to seminary. I earned a preaching scholarship. My preaching professor told me, you are born to do this, right? Uh, you have a gift. I got a scholarship for preaching. My, my degree was in church development. And almost all of my classes went on to pastor churches. And so when I left seminary, I went to pastor church as well. And I, I've talked about that in a few previous episodes, but I hated it, right? And I hated it so much that, that I left and I went to work at Apple. And while working in Apple, something in me started stirring and, and itching. And I thought that it was the voice of God saying to, you know, plant a church or, or start a church. But looking back all these years later, I see that it was more the imaginary voices in my head of my classmates, my professors, my friends, all saying, you went to seminary. You got your degree, right? Like this is the next logical step for you. If you don't do this, well, what are you going to do? 
This is who you are. It's what you're supposed to do with a seminary degree. If you don't pastor a church, seminary was a waste of your time, your money, your energy, your blood, your sweat, your tears. And it was also the voice of my dad, uh, deep down inside, telling me that I would never amount to anything. It would never make a good pastor. He used to tell me that, that I would make a lousy pastor. And so when I left my first church, that voice got really, really loud. Um, when I when I left the church to go work for Apple, that voice was screaming, I told you, right, you failed. You'll never amount to anything. And so something deep inside of me wanted to prove that voice wrong. Oh yeah, you say I can't amount to anything? Watch this. And so I set out to start my own church. That would make a difference in the world. And if you didn't guess, those are horrible reasons, right, for starting a church. Now, at the time, those weren't the reasons at all. That wasn't even like on my radar. Um, I really wanted to make a difference. I really believed that we were on to something big. And I honestly believe that this is what God was leading us to do. But as I've had time away from that season of my life, I've had the opportunity to process through it in class with a counselor, I now realize exactly what was going on. I mean, we had glimpses of glory in this church. Don't get me wrong. Uh, there was this one time we met in a, in a small two-car garage. We had 20 people one week packed in this, this garage. There was a time that a guy showed up from, from work, from Apple, um, pretty much hungover, and stood outside of the garage with me on a cold winter day crying because he never felt welcomed in church before, but he felt welcomed in our garage. There was a time that we baptized three people time one of our friends moved to Texas, but FaceTimed in the church every Sunday morning. There's one time for Christmas, we baked 3,000 cookies for 300 homeless people, and then hand wrote 300 Christmas cards for each one of those people. Uh, there were a lot of things about those couple of years that made a profound impact on me and others, but at the end of the day, it just didn't work. And for a long time, I carried around that, that guilt it weighed heavy on me. Right? Like I couldn't handle pastoring a church. I couldn't handle starting my own church. The voice inside was just screaming at me. I felt like I let everybody down, including God, my family. And I felt like I was wasting my degree as I put in shift after shift after shift working a retail job at Apple selling these phones and these computers and these iPads where ironically, I still work nine years later, right? But this class taught me something important. You see, although I failed, I didn't fail. Or better said, failure was not the end, it was just the beginning. The failure of our church plant felt like the end of the road in the moment, but it was really just the beginning of an incredible journey because it taught me something very, very important that I'll forever remember and I'll forever carry forward. And that's that I'm not, I'm not wired to pastor a church. And that's okay. I can be a gifted communicator, gifted speaker, preacher, that preaching scholarship, right? I, I, can, I can have that. I can be that. That could be true about me. But that doesn't mean that I have to pastor a church. That's a gift that could be used elsewhere, right? Some people are wired to pastor a church. I'm not. Some people are born to do it. I wasn't. But that doesn't make me a failure. I might have failed, but I'm not a failure. The failure was a lesson. It was an experience, it was a season in my life that was meant not to destroy me or tear me down, but to refine me and build me up. 
It was meant to give me clarity, understanding, and perspective on exactly who I am and what I was put on this earth to do. The failure shaped me. And now, here I am, all these years later, still working at Apple, not even really regularly involved in a church. I just finished up my doctorate degree, and I'm blogging, podcasting, talking to you and other people around the world about faith, God, and spirituality. Again, failure is not a failure, right? Failure does not mean that I am a failure. Um, It wasn't for me, and it's not for you. So I'd ask you to think about how are you processing through your failures? Um, You are not a failure. Third takeaway, um, the surplus of meaning. And I mentioned uh, in some previous posts or some previous episodes um, that that I took a class towards the end of my coursework that totally rocked my world. Um, The professor I I told you was um, talking about stuff from the front of the classroom that was putting words on things that I had quietly been thinking about and exploring over the previous five to ten years of my life in my own little private theological closet. Uh, Things about heaven and hell and Jesus and the Bible. On top of that, this professor was quoting authors and books that I had been reading and devouring silently in that closet because I I knew that professors would would look down on those books And those authors and books were considered heretical by my old tribe and even some of my classmates that were sitting around me. People like Rob Bell, Brian McLaren, Peter Enns, Peter Rollins, and and so many more. And I knew that if I shared these books, and I shared these authors publicly, and had made people aware that their thoughts and ideas had influenced me, I knew that that wasn't going to go over very well. And so I kept my interest and my appreciation and their influence on me pretty low-key and pretty quiet. But then this professor stood up in front of the class and he kind of fearlessly shared these ideas and these quotes to a room full of people that I was afraid to let into my own little theological closet. And as he was sharing and speaking and fearlessly sharing this stuff, man, something in me just became unhinged. And the rest is is history. Um, And here we are at the What If Project. But, but in this class, the professor spoke about a philosopher named Paul Ricoeur. And he's known for a, a bunch of ideas, but one of the things he's most known for is this idea of the surplus of meaning. And I'm not going to give you an entire discourse on this because I don't really even understand all of the ins and outs. Um, but I just want to uh, share with you a, a small, very short piece on what this means, the surplus of meaning. And basically, he says that no book, no story, no event has just one singular meaning, but it has many meanings. In a story, he says, means everything that it means, although it doesn't mean more than what it means. Let me say that again. No book, right? The Bible, for instance, has one meaning, but it has a variety of meanings. And that book, the Bible, in this instance, can't mean whatever we want it to mean, But it does mean everything that it does mean, meaning that it does have a variety of different meanings. And so I sat in this class, I listened to this professor talk about the Bible and Paul Ricoeur and the surplus of meaning, and I began to see something and have words for something that I had been wrestling with and thinking about for the previous 10 years of taking Bible classes, preaching classes, theology classes, language classes, and I began to see that the feeling I had inside, that we often make the Bible out to be way more systematic than it was meant to be, I began to see that that feeling was right. 
right? The Bible doesn't have just one meaning. The stories that Jesus told don't just have one interpretation. The book that I've studied and I've loved for so long is not as systematic as I'd been told that it was or that I thought it was. But instead, I was free to read the text and dream. The ancient rabbis used to say that the scriptures are like diamonds, meaning that every time you turn them and every time the sun hits them on a different angle or different way, you're able to see something different, something different, something deeper, something that inspires more awe and wonder, something new, something that you didn't see before. I don't know about you, but if I'm being honest, this has always been my experience with the Bible. I'm always seeing something I didn't see before, always seeing something new, something that has always been there, but for whatever reason was hidden from my sight. Now that lecture about Paul Ricoeur and the surplus of meaning, it helped give birth to the What If Project. The idea had been brewing, but it was that class and that lecture and those ideas that patted me on the back, gave me permission to kind of open that theological closet and uncovered the still small voice deep in my heart that was whispering, follow this. This is okay to follow. And so that's what I'm doing. And that's going to lead me into next week, uh, week three, where I talk to you about um, what's next for, for me. Um, but before we, we, we end this, I want to ask you um, again, how are you dealing with your beach balls? Are you dealing with them or are you just pushing them away? And have you processed your failures? Um, remember, failure doesn't mean that you're a failure. It's a launch pad into something new, right? You are not the failure. And number three, are you open to seeing things like life and faith and spirituality and God in ways that are different than the ways in which you've always seen them? Beach balls, failures, and the surplus of meaning. Thanks for dropping by. Um, thanks for listening. Thanks for being you. And uh, thanks for your support for the podcast. Much love to you and talk to you soon. Bye-bye.